So um, I hope everybody can see this. And let me go ahead and have the chat box up because I, I, I like to see interaction. I, um, you know, if you have comments, if you if you have um, certain questions, I, I like to make this interactive. So if you have questions, concerns, um, things like that, then uh, you can go ahead and type in the chat box, and and I, I like to address them um, as it comes along. So. You know, this is your opportunity to to ask those questions um, that 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 you've been wondering about, uh, not only COVID nineteen, but you know anything related to COVID nineteen, um, because this is something is still a, a new condition, um, something that that we're still trying to learn and understand. So one of the disclaimers, actually two disclaimers that I like to start off with. Uh, number one. Um, a lot of these things um, may look like medical advice to you, but this does not replace uh, medical advice that I'm giving you. Even though I do have an MD um, and I, I, I have the knowledge, but um, what I say in this lecture does not replace any personal medical advice. Um, if, if for that, you would need to consult your personal physician. Um, and the second thing that I love to start off with, um, you know, when I'm explaining about COVID-19 to students is the fact that a lot of this knowledge is evolving. So um, something I might, something I say today may be true today, um, but tomorrow scientists in um, United Kingdom or somewhere else, the reason I bring up United Kingdom is a lot of the research, original research came from there. Um, they might say something completely contradictory to what I just said, because they just discovered something new. So there's a lot of different components here um, that is factual currently, but uh, may evolve. So be on the lookout, um, take a look at articles, you know, um, keep looking at articles and, and see, you know, what it says. Um, that's the only way to make sure that you're, keeping tabs of what is current. Okay, so um, with that said, what will we be going over today? Um, well, I want you to get a really, you know, a, a basic understanding of coronavirus disease transmission. So one of the things, one of the myths that is out there is, you know, um, how this thing spreads and why wear masks, who does it protect, um, things like that. A lot of people, even reporters, I've seen this actually make this mistake. It, they think that a mask is worn to protect yourself, you know? But the main reason that a mask is worn is actually to protect other people. So, um, when you are projecting, when, when you're, um, if some of you sing maybe, um, one of the first studies that came out, of course, um, one of them was in the restaurant in, in China, but also um, in Washington state, there was this choir practice and, uh, you know, people were 
in in church choir and and they were singing and w- one person um, who was a super spreader um, spread it to about uh, fifty to sixty percent of of the choir. So you'll see these um, super spreader events and and um, of course there was no mask being worn um, and certain places where uh, many people contract the virus um, from certain events. So you'll hear me, you know, what I like to do is, I also like to give you stories and examples. Facts are great, percentages are great, but there is nothing that also replaces real life stories um, where people just like you and me, uh, you know, contracted the virus. And some of them did not have such uh, positive outcomes. Um, you might have heard about the nine-year-old uh, that recently passed. Um, that's that's also another tragic um, situation. And so, uh, Sally, thanks for that question. Um, so, what basically you you're trying you're asking. Why, what determines one person will be a super spreader and another person won't be? Um, and there, you know, th- that's, that's a really good research question. Um, the answer to which is not quite known yet. Um, the problem is we, there's, there's so many unknowns and that's one of them. Um, there might be, in fact, there might be, it might have to do not with it might not necessarily have to do with people, but um, in a certain circumstance, uh, in in a situation, um, there there might be super spreader events. Um, but but the one story that I like to tell um, when it comes to super spreaders is um, I, I like to go into history too. So Mary Malone um, was. Uh, have, has any any one of you, and you can you can kind of say yes or no, uh, however you want to. Maybe you can type it. Has anybody heard of typhoid Mary? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Great. Great. So you're familiar with that story. Okay. So that situation, if you think about it, so Mary was a. Um, for those of you that that may not know, um, typhoid uh, typhoid fever was you know something of of a common occurrence um, about you know a hundred years ago. And so um, it wasn't in that situation necessarily the fact that she was a super spreader, but the fact that she was a carrier, she didn't necessarily get too sick. And she was in a position where she could be spreading this um, to a lot of people. Um, and now in, in the case of typhoid, that, that is actually a bacteria. But regardless, she was an asymptomatic carrier. And um, I'm going to be talking a lot about asymptomatic carriers, so I'm not going to talk about that too much. But the fact that she was a cook and she was um, preparing, preparing food um, meant that she was in a position where she could be a super spreader. So it's, it's not only the fact that maybe certain people are, but it's it's the types of activities that are, they are engaged in um, may also have to do with why uh, certain people are quote super spreaders. So there's a lot of things um, going on there, but um, if if you haven't 
Um, if, you, if you're not too familiar with that story or if you haven't read that story in a while, I encourage you to um, go ahead and do so because uh, that one incident actually infected 53 people. And in fact, three people um, died from that. So um, I, I, think, I think that's one of those uh, stories we can learn from. Now, I'll also be uh, using 1918, uh, the Spanish influenza, uh, as, as a comparison for what is going on today in, in order to better understand um, what this is. Okay, so, um, so again, we're going to, uh, you know, create kind of a foundation through a basic definition um, of, of what each of these concepts mean. Okay, so I like this picture because of the fact that, you know, it brings home a couple of things um, with COVID-19. First of all, it's a virus. Um, it, it has spikes on the virus. Um, and the reason that it's so difficult to understand the behavior, so to speak, the behavior of um, COVID-19 is because, first of all, you can't see it with a regular microscope. Um, ha has anybody ever looked through a microscope? Um, does anybody have experience doing that in, in a lab or? Okay, maybe, maybe, okay, okay, so some of you have. So when you, you know, when you, you have the, you have the four, four 10, 40, you know, you, you have the objectives, of the objective lenses. And, uh, and you, you have, let's, let's, for instance, okay, so let's, for instance, imagine that you're looking for COVID-19 under a microscope. Well, you, you look on the four objective, nothing. Look at a sputum sample of ten of ten times objective, nothing. Forty, you can't see anything. Uh, let, let's uh, let's give an example of, um, for for instance, um, uh, trichomonas. So um, in you know in, in STD lab, uh, of course you would take a sample and you you would look and you can see trichomonas like right away. It's it's there's there's no um, there's no questioning that um, you you can see um, a, a lot of different species you know um, pseudomonas you, you can see a lot of bacteria but now we're talking about virus these particles are even smaller than the smallest uh, type of uh, type of particle that that you can see so you have to go to something called an electron microscope to be even to even be able to see anything um, that that is there to see. So you, you go to this huge microscope, and uh, when I was at the Centers for Disease Control, we actually had one of these uh, electron microscopes that took up a whole room, and um, uh, we actually had an you know uh, in-house electron micros uh, microscope expert. Um, that her job was to specifically put in all the images and and um, show you the picture. And so we we were looking at, of course, um, at that time in that time uh, a bacteria. Um, but these viruses, it it takes something of 
that magnitude, something that powerful to even be able to see. So how does something this small cause this much, that much devastation, right? Um, so it's just, you know, it's, it's mind blowing. So anyway, so the, this is, the, the blue is a dye that they use to be able to contrast to, so that you could see um, this uh, coronavirus, this uh, COVID-19. So um, I love this picture and you'll probably be seeing this in other slides because I like to use this as a background so that it's, it's a reminder to all of us that this particle is so tiny and yet, you know, causing so much devastation. It, it, on a philosophical level, it's almost humbling. Um, so what, what do you know um, about this virus? And I know you've been, you know, frantically looking and, and reading and collecting information, trying to figure out how to stay safe, how to protect your family. So I, I know there, there's a lot of things. So, so share with us like a fact. And if you want to, um, you know, get on your, your, your speaker, if you feel like talking or if you want to type it out, just give us one interesting fact. I mean, it doesn't have to be an interesting fact, any fact. It doesn't even have to be a true fact. <laughs> um, it, it can be something that you think is true, and maybe, maybe, maybe it's not. What I'm saying is there's no wrong answers. Okay. So, Burke, and um, also I wanted to mention, um, if, if there's a name that you would like to be called, um, you can change your name. Um, so I usually read the name that shows up on on, on the chat box. Um, but if Burke, if you would like to be called that, then I'll, I'll call you. And okay, good. Um, so yeah, it can be passed from a person um, without symptoms. Um, so that's that that's definitely a, a really interesting fact. Um, let's see. So Sierra is saying, um, and excuse me if I'm mispronouncing anybody's name. Um, it, it affects the lungs. Yeah, that's correct, Lorelai. Um, it can cause blood clots, but yes, we will be going over that on Thursday as to why. Um, it's airborne Tillman, okay? Yeah, that's good. And then um, it can linger and reoccur. Okay, uh, see, Dodd, uh, that's, that's good. And uh, I, I think recurring is when you when you mean recur, reoccur, um, are you meaning that you can fight off the infection, recover from it, and then uh, get the infection again three months later? Um, you, I, I don't know if that's what you're referring to. That's that's correct. But I wanted to bring that to your attention. That's actually a very recent sort of um, uh, finding that is coming out of King's College. Um, there was a separate study that was done in California that is showing that. Um, if, if after three months, you can actually, um, your immune response um, is, is, it starts to dwindle and then you can uh, get, get, uh, get COVID-19 again. Um, not only that, if, if you're um, mild, if you get mild symptoms or maybe are you know, asymptomatic, didn't really get it that much, then the immune um, response actually the, the um it, it actually clears out out of your system even sooner so you can you can contract COVID-19 even sooner than 90 days okay 
So I, I wanted to kind of bring that up uh, since this is new, newer information. And you'll see me also give you updated information as, as we go along. Okay, so um, Rachel said protein is the reason it's able to attach to humans. And I'm going to go over, in this, go over that in great detail. So good. Okay, Hannah. Um, it can make you lose your taste and smell, correct? And it can also give you an altered sense uh, of smell. It can stay on surfaces for up three days. It can, right? Um, uh, you know, it's, of course, these are upper limits. Um, a lot of people say, you know, it starts to clear up sooner. But yeah, up to three days, correct? Okay, how much, Chester, how much we don't know is frightening. That is also another good fact. <laughs> um, it is frightening. Uh, Carol, some people die from it and some don't, correct? Yeah, and how, the, the question is how do you determine? I mean, we have some facts like uh, comorbidities, things like that make people more susceptible um, and for obvious reasons. And I'll go into a little bit more detail as to why comorbidities, um, I'll discuss about that today and Thursday. Um, Different people in same family can present different symptoms, correct? Yeah. Um, it is an RNA-based virus. Good, good. We're um, getting into a, a, a little bit more uh, technical material, um, but that's, that's great. That's, um, so just, just to give you, and I'm, I'm not going to go into, I, I took a, you know, um, a whole six months of virology and um, actually probably, a, probably more, a lot of virology. Um, there's DNA viruses, there's RNA viruses, um, and different characteristics depending on the type of viruses. But I would have to go through what DNA is, RNA is, and you know, a lot of different things, and it's beyond the scope of this course. But yeah, that's a good fact. Okay, so CDAV. Um, okay, Herbert, it sticks to stainless, stainless steel for two days. Interesting, okay. Um, yeah, so different, different surfaces have uh, different time spans that, that it sticks and um, great. Okay, so it can stay alive and viable on indoor surfaces for long periods of time. It can, yeah. Um, Dylan said that, good, okay. Um, and Kayla, it affects those with compromised systems, unfortunately worse. Um, Roz said asymptomatic situation can be misleading, correct. That is um, what makes this so much more dangerous. And I gave you the example of typhoid Mary from history, but um, there's so many more examples in current modern day of looking into that. So, you know, I, I start to make lists. Of course, I'm a researcher, scientist. So I, I start to, when I look at phenomena um, that have not been observed before, I like to make lists and, and have uh, people with certain symptoms in, in, in certain groups so that, I can keep track of how this is evolving. Um, and you know, if you're one of those people that likes to make lists, that, that might be something that, that might be a way to keep track. Okay, so um, Alana, it affects people differently, correct? Yeah. Um, okay, let me see. And then Melanie, so Melanie, you have a question here. Um, you're asking if it's so harmful and so harmful, how 
if it's so small and harmful? How is it possible that a pregnant woman has it, but when she gives birth, the baby might not have it and their lungs are not fully ready? Okay, so I, I, think, I think what you're asking here is the fact that, of course, a baby, especially if you have a premature baby, uh, your lungs may not fully develop. Um, that's one of those things that develops last. I mean, heart um, develops at four weeks. So, um, you know, or, or starts to develop in week four. Um, but lungs actually um, are one of the last major organs you know, to develop. So a lot of times we'll give, you know, prednisone okay. and things like that to um, hasten that process. But um, uh, how, how is it that a pregnant woman might be positive and um, they might not pass it on to the baby? So the placental barrier is actually a very strong barrier, a, a, a filtra filtration system. Um, which allows for some protection um, of the baby from from mother's you know infections. Now um, I'm I'm going to say this, but then I'm I'm also going to say um, another thing. There have been um, some reports. Now uh, this is this is kind of getting to the point where we're reaching a gray area, and I'm I'm also. Kind of alerting you, alerting you know, alerting you about that. But there have been some instances where there's possible transmission from mother to child. Um, mm -hmm. So, so initially we were we were thinking that that is not possible, but there have been potential um, situations. But um, we're, we're still going to have you know the verdict is out on that, and we're still going to have to um, ha have confirmation on that fact. But yeah, I think it goes back to that one statement um, that was made by Chester, which can't be further from the truth, is that how much we don't know is frightening. Um, I, think that's, I think that's a quotable quote. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's a good point. Okay. So, uh, you know, moving along, I think um, we had a really good discussion on this. Um, Dylan said, is it safe to say that it's best to keep our options malleable? Yeah, that's that's an interesting that's an interesting way to put it. Yeah, exactly. Um yeah. Okay, opinions. Yeah, yeah, opinions malleable. Yeah. Um this more than ever, and this is why you need uh, skilled individuals giving lectures on this, not somebody you know that that you know learned everything in in a day. Uh, I mean, this is this has been similar things ha, ha, has been my my life's learning. I, I've been I've been learning about this. So this is why people that know know a lot about different areas need need to be teaching you because. Um, because of the fact that everything is so malleable. Um, okay. So let me get rid of this. Not sure why this underline came on here. Um, I, I don't know if you see it on your end, but there's like a red mark. Um, I just try to ignore that. I'm, I'm not really sure why it's on here. Um, 
anyway, okay, so I, I think it's from the annotation tool that um, is on here. Um, let me clear that, clear all drawings. Okay, better. So um, out of these, I, you know, um, and, and this is kind of more here for historical uh, reasons, um, more so than anything. Um, but, you know, the initial three symptoms, okay, I, I'm, I'm not really saying that one of these symptoms cannot take place um, ever, but the three best uh, symptoms or the three most valid symptoms are are what out of this and I, I want you to pay attention to this because of the fact that you know you know you might see this again and if you could just type um, on the chat box like Laurel I did yeah good good okay 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 so um, all of you are on board with this and 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 yeah see immediately recognize um what what these are now um like a cough fever and shortness of breath is the right answer okay so now um it, it can can it affect your eyes can can it give you blurred vision uh absolutely um and so the fact of the matter is, you know, um, it in in fact that, and I'm going to give you a little bit of a sneak peek into Thursday. ACE receptors are something that are present in your eyes, so the eyes are a potential point of entry for COVID-19, um, not not only through the nose, and and so you know, it, it's it's one of those things that you know, there's again there's so much that um, is potentially possible from, from this virus. Okay, but those were the original three. And now um, I, I'm gonna also give you um, this fact that if you go back to the CDC website now, there's, there are a lot more symptoms. In fact, GI disturbances, um, and when I mean what I mean by GI disturbances is, is uh, diarrhea is one of the symptoms that has been incorporated um, in, into the symptoms. So I urge you to go to the CDC website and look at the, uh, all of the different symptoms that is possible uh, from this. And um, again, it's very important for you to know the list of symptoms, kind of have, an, have, have a good working knowledge. Um, if, if you know cough, fever, shortness of breath, that's good. But just keep in mind that there are other symptoms, um, at, one of which uh, can be gastrointestinal disturbances, specifically diarrhea. Okay. So now we're going to go over some basics here with viruses. Um, and, you know, there might be certain facts that you might already know about viruses. I might have already uh, kind of touched base on this, but the fact of the matter is there are so many different components. Um, there, there's so many different concepts here. So you might know a little bit about a certain angle, certain aspect. You might know a little bit of another aspect. 
but I'm, I'm, what I'm going to try to do is give you these um, smaller pieces and then piece that puzzle together to indicate to you, you know, why does a virus get you sick? You know, why, why does it make you feel sick? Um, and, and, and go over that. Okay. So again, I already explained to you what a virus is. And, and as, as I indicated, of course, it could be DNA or RNA. And uh, basically a virus acts as a blueprint for, um, or, uh, sorry, the, basically the genetic code acts as a blueprint for the virus to make more of itself. So, um, okay, so I'd like to go even further back and, and, and kind of start at, at the foundation here in explaining viruses. Um, when I first, you know, took my very first class way back when in, in biology, one of the things that struck me was the fact that from a strictly biological sense, a virus is not considered living. Um, and why do I say that? Well. A, in order for something to be classified as living, um, they have to be able to independently reproduce. And a virus is unable, uh, unable, incapable of doing so. They actually need uh, a completely are dependent on a host to be able to uh, reproduce and make more of itself. So it not only needs our DNA, it requires our machinery. So when I, what I mean by that is it requires a, a nucleus and, and so yeah, so a, a parasite does require another host in order to survive in order to eat, I'm, I'm responding to Sidov's uh, uh, question about uh, making it a parasite. So it, it does, a parasite requires something to survive, uh, another, a, a host to survive, but um, a virus specifically requires, and, and this is into semantics and, and definitions and things like that, but the, but the point being is that, you know, there is no other organi organism that is so dependent on a host, so exclusively dependent on a host for survival and reproduction. Um, so, how 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 does it um, how does it do so? It um, and, and I'm going to kind of generically go over this before I before I go over this in greater detail. Um, but it actually has to go in and um, invade the nucleus and hijack the whole system in order to uh, make more of itself. So let me at, at this point do make this drawing here and um, show you what happens. Okay, this is too, um, there we go, okay. This is the right tool. 
So typically you think of a virus and you think of kind of a hexagon pattern. Um, the, the head, it, 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 there's a there's a nucleocapsid and then there's there's all these tails and that's the typical structure of any virus this is not just COVID-19 um, or um, SARS-CoV-2 um, it's it, it's any sort of virus looks like this and then there is this host cell and you know, I, I, we, we spend a, a, an, a lot of time going over the structure of a cell. So I, I'm not going to go over too much about the structure of a cell, except I'm going to tell you that the DNA and DNA reproduction, everything takes place in here in something called the nucleus. And that text box is, box is way too big, but here, let me shrink it down. So there's the nucleus, and of course, there here is uh, the the viral particle. And you know, I, I'm not going to expect you to draw it in a quiz or or in anything of that nature. Um, this is for your personal knowledge. Um, so there's the virus, and there's the nucleus. And of course, the size is not um, of a virus is nowhere near um, what what I have drawn it. This is just for illustration purposes only. Um, if if I were to actually draw to scale, you wouldn't be able to see it. <laughs> so, um, so the virus on its own it is 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 defenseless. It, it actually is capable incapable of reproduction. Can't do anything. Now. The recipe for disaster is this. Once this virus goes and um, actually starts invading the human host, and imagine this is like a respiratory cell, um, a cell in your, in your lungs. It enters through, um, it's, there's actually uh, receptors in our cell, which the virus, of course, has um, you know, it's through mutations, it has created these proteins which interact with the ACE uh, receptor. And I'm going to go over the ACE receptor a lot in a lot more detail. So I'm not, I just want you to know about the ACE receptor at this point. So it's going to go in through the ACE receptor, interact, and then uh, once it breaks this barrier, it can't just enter. It has to enter through that particular receptor. And that is the only way that a virus can enter. So if we completely, uh, long enough to spread. Okay, I'm gonna go over that. So if, if, it if, if we eliminated these ACE receptors completely or blocked them somehow or did something, then there would be no way that this virus could even enter. Because it can't just, this virus is not able, capable of entering through here, um, through here, it can't enter through there. Only way it can enter it through there is through ACE receptors. So it goes in, then goes into, once it's in the cell, it makes its way into, into the last 
you know, goes to the last defense, penetrates through the last defense in the nucleus, goes into that genetic material, hijacks that material, uh, genetic material, and um, it's it's all it's it's like a computer virus. It takes over and starts making more and more of its own self. So initially, when you're asymptomatic or you know you you have little mild symptoms, a couple of cells have you know made. Um, viral particles, no big deal, you know, um, you, you don't really see anything or feel anything. But then as this continues, as this process continues, and more and more of these normal human cells are um, actually being programmed into turning more and more viral particles, and I'm just going to, you know, draw these things here. Um, there's more and more viral particles, then all of the energy that we are using to try to fight this infection off instead is going to make more and more viral particles. So it literally converts our cells and transforms them into viral uh, virus-making factories, um, virus-making machinery. So um, it's at this point hijacked our system, and now we're getting more and more symptoms to the point that, and, and you know what what makes the difference between some people going, you know, in one direction and another. I'll give you some sense of that, you know, on Thursday. But this is kind of the introduction. This is the foundation of how the virus comes in and starts to take over. Um, so the new virus then will. Uh, spread through your body and out into the environment. So the ideal, so the ideal virus, and this is something we talked about. We, we, you know, I, I learned this a long time ago. The ideal virus is not the virus that actually completely kills the host. The ideal virus is the virus that um, makes you um, sick enough so that it's able to transmit to more individuals, so that uh, more viral particles can be made. Um, so that's what makes a dangerous, da that makes for a very dangerous viral particle. The one that can, you know, um, kills some individuals, some hosts, but not all. Um, so, okay, so let's go to the next slide. So because, again, because these resources are being diverted from making more, giving us more energy and providing nourishment for us to just making virus, viral particle after viral particle after viral particle, because it's being diverted, that's the sickness we start feeling. Um, and of course, organs are, are starting to suffer. Um, lungs, the heart. Um, there's quite a few organ systems, as you'll see on Thursday, that this just starts to affect. And I'll explain to you the major organs that is that are being affected. I'll explain to you why you get the symptoms and why you see the things that you do in the organ systems um, th that are within your body. Um, 
So the human body activates the immune system to fight off the virus. Of course, you know, that's there and, and um, we can't forget that. Um, but because of the fact that, you know, there are a lot of uh, first responders, of course, macrophages are first responders um, in, our, in our body, but also, um, you know, a lot of the T cells, um, they're coming in and activating more inflammatory markers. Um, a lot of that, creating that defense system actually takes away from energy that we have for, uh, to, to run other body systems. So, so there's two things, two big point, major points here. One, the diversion of resources in order to um, make more of the viral particle that's making us sick. And two, the diversion of resources from other body systems into maintaining our immune system to fight this disease, that's making us sick too. So there's two things. So th this, is, this is where all of these concepts that I just taught you and, and showed you through these pictures, they all come together and, and then you understand what exactly is going on. Um, and this, this, is, this is the surface. We're, we'll, we'll delve into this deeper in order to understand this better. Okay. Okay, so let me... Clear all drawings so that, you know, this is not um, getting distracting, but... Um, uh, you know, th this is, again, getting into what happens when someone is exposed to the virus and how does someone get rid of a virus. So, um, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to figure out um, what specifically is, it, it's kind of like a um, trial and error where, you, where the body tries one algorithm uh, tries to figure out if if it works, and then it's not a very it's not necessarily completely efficient, um, but it, it's it's just try one thing if it doesn't work, try another thing doesn't work, um, and you know usually with with all the existing viruses that we have, of course we get exposed to um, many types of rhinoviruses. There are two hundred different types of rhinoviruses, and there's a reason that I'm bringing this up right now because as we go into fall, this is a major concern. So there are 200 different rhinoviruses. Uh, rhinoviruses cause uh, mainly the common cold. Not only that, you have um, a completely separate virus called the influenza virus. It has nothing to do with the coronavirus. It's a completely different family of viruses. Our body's exposed to that. Every year we get exposed. So um, even though they mutate a little bit, um, so there's something called antigenic drift, antigenic shift. Some of you might have heard it. Um, not really important in this context, but the flu goes through small mutations every year. So that's why you need to get the flu vaccine every year um, in order to protect yourself from, um, from, from the virus. So, so in, in the fall and especially going into winter, we have all of these different viruses that are roughly speaking, giving you similar symptoms. So um, those viruses, for the most part, if, you're, if you don't have other conditions, 
you you have you have memory cells. Um, you, your body kind of knows what type of immune response to mount and then be able to uh, uh, take, you know, take it down, um, be, be able to uh, attack. When it comes to a novel coronavirus, and that's why the novel part of this um, uh, virus name is so important. When you have a novel coronavirus, your body has not been primed. Your body doesn't know. The immune system doesn't know how to respond to something like this. So that's what makes the difference between one type of virus and another. Um, so the human body is trying to still figure out, you know, how, how to fight it. Now, why did I bring up, you know, all, all of these different uh, viruses that look like COVID-19? Um, why is that so important going into fall and winter? Can anybody tell me? Can anybody um, give uh, give give me an answer to that? Right, right. So not right, and that these are all good points. Um, there's similarities. Um, you can have them sim simultaneously. Um, so so when you have symptoms that are similar that that imitate another virus then you actually don't know um, if if you have one or the other so that's why more testing um will be important more contact tracing will be important because the other part of this which is which is so alarming is the fact that when you do get a test there's there's so many instances where there, where it is false negative, um, and I, I'm I'm introducing this concept early. Um, this is an epidemiological concept. Um, epidemiology is one of my um, ma many trainings as well. Um, I've spent a lot of time. False negative is a very is a very important concept because what that means is if you get a positive test from COVID nineteen, okay. So then you know for sure that you do have COVID-19. Um, there might have been scenarios, you know, very small percentage where um, where it might have it might it was positive. The test was positive, but the person you know didn't have it. That is not usually the case. But um, as this as the testing is still not really uh, developed, it's still in the early phases there's actually a much higher false negative percentage, which means that if your test says no, you don't have COVID-19, doesn't mean that you actually don't have it. Number one, you might be early in the early stages, so you might not have a viral load that is detectable by the test yet. Number two, uh, you might have some sort of deviated septum. If, you know, the, the test is still through your notes, and, um, I, I've actually, um, you know, uh, been a part of this testing process, and it, it's it's still the same process where you're you uh, put a swab, you know, up through your nose, uh, and it you know you rotate fifty uh, they count fifteen times in each nostril, but if you don't quite have you know a, a, a straight um, nasal passage, if you have a deviated septum then you might not get a proper sample. 
So there's all of these components. Um, uh, there might be operator errors. And, you know, there are all of these things that can go wrong in the testing. So no doesn't always mean that you don't have it completely. So we count on contact tracing actually to see if the person was in fact exposed to and, and if they're having symptoms to make sure that, um, the, that the negative test is actually negative and, and that they're, you know, they're, not a COVID, they're not a case of su a suspect case of COVID, so to speak. So why I'm bringing all of this up is because I'm trying to make the point that when you have other viruses which imitate the symptoms of COVID-19, then at that point, you no longer know if a negative test is actually negative you know, and, and positive because you have, it's negative because you don't have COVID-19 and you have one of the other viruses, or is it negative because it was a false negative? So there are all of these additional unknowns that are introduced um, when we are going into fall season and, and winter, which is why, and, and which is one of the reasons why um, now, you know, Dr. Fauci and, and, and a lot of public health experts are warning about the fall. Uh, and I'm going to discuss about the fall a lot more because we're so close to it now. I mean, we're, we're about a month and a half away. Um, and, you know, schools, reop uh, schools reopening, you know, scheduled to be reopening, things like that. These are at the forefront of uh, national discussions. And so I want to make sure that this is current and all of you know the facts um, going in and, and know what is, you know, what is, what is reality and what, is, what are things that people are, don't know about. So again, very important. Okay, so if a person has been previously infected or has been vaccinated, their immune system will be primed to remember. Remember I use that word priming. Your, your immune system gets trained or it, it gets primed to react quickly the next time it sees the virus. But again, this is a novel um, coronavirus, which is why it makes it so much more difficult. Um, so eventually, you know, the immune system, maybe some, some people's more so than others, eventually their immune system figures it out and understands and realizes how to actually destroy um, this virus completely. So, you know, it's, it's kind of luck of the draw. Our immune systems, it, it's a known fact. I mean, immunology, um, from immunology, I can tell you this, that, you know, we have a lot of variations in our immune system, which makes everything unique. So some people have an overactive immune system, um, which makes them more susceptible to autoimmune conditions. Um, if you've heard of uh, rheumatoid arthritis or systemic lupus erythematosus or, um, you know, Sjogren's or a lot of the different autoimmune diseases, it's because, you know, you, you don't have necessarily an immune system um, or, or you have an overactive immune system. And then there's underactive immune systems that people have. And then there's a whole gamut that's in between. So that is why, again, there is so many variations of how um, the virus reacts to some people and how it affects some people and not others, things like that. Um, there are some, there are more genetic testing uh, that is being conducted in order to 
um, understand these differences. Okay, so here's another question here. Um, after recovering from a virus, can the person get sick again? So I, I gave you the response to this. Um, so the, I, the answer now actually is a little bit more, I, I would say a little bit more definitive. These things still apply, but the fact of the matter is, um, and this is studies that have been just recently, recently published. It's not, and actually haven't really even been, uh, and, and haven't quite gotten into journals yet, but this is, these are separate studies in different countries, different places, one in California, one in uh, the King's College in the United Kingdom, um, which are very reputable places. Uh, UCLA, I, I'm sure a lot of you have heard of. Um, scientists and researchers have found that 90 days is how long the immunity stays and then starts after which uh, it starts to wane, starts to go away. So um, it's, it's good to keep that in mind um, when you're thinking about this. Um, Sally, I, 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 I like the fact that you, you know, brought up the foods or vitamins um, that can build the immune system. I think, I, I think a lot of uh, medical doctors um, dispel um, the power of, of uh, you know, eating right. And, and, you know, we a lot of times don't have time when uh, seeing patients to actually go over that fact, but uh, it does remain a, um, a fact that, you know, in the immune system can be strengthened through, through these um, avenues as well. So, um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily, you know, go over those here, but I, I think there's definitely um, a vitamin D, of course, you know, is in a medical context, um, very important for a lot of different areas um, and re really helps in, 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 you know, in fighting disease, of course. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think it's important. So, yeah, I think, I think those um, aspects are important. Um, I personally do uh, take certain um, supplements, things like that. So, so yeah, it's, it's something good to keep in mind. Um, I, I would recommend you know, all of you to do your own research to see what works best for each and every one of you um, regarding that. Um, I'll go over on Thursday about what parts, um, what phases in the disease progression does immune suppression work better versus immune modulation, um, increasing the immune system. Again, not to replace medical advice, but I will show you exactly which phases in the disease process um, where you need a higher immune system versus where you need to uh, decrease your immune system in, in order to um, be better adapted. And this is based on knowledge that we have now. So again, um, it's, it's for your knowledge that, that I'll, I'll be I'm going over this. Okay. But I think this creates a really good foundation um, going into Thursday because I didn't want to throw you into all this pathophysiology, all this medical jargon all at once because uh, trust me, it can get really confusing um, very quickly. Okay. 
the um, this is kind of the same things. I wanted this. I wanted to include this in order to um, ha have it presented in a different way. Um, so because the um, because it's you know spread so easily and people don't have immunity, that's a recipe for a, a disastrous pandemic, and and that's what we're seeing here today. Um, not many, not many people have, very few people have uh, had seen this actually, you know, before November or October, whenever the origin was, nobody had seen the virus. So that's why it's such a uh, difficult virus to, to fight as a population. And um, 7 billion people at once, directly or indirectly in our globe being affected is is no easy task you know it's 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 very challenging um and and brazil if you have seen also is um seeing numbers um that are alarming on the top five countries in the world um if you look at the ranking are experiencing um the vast majority um like significant it's a significant percentage um I think in the U.S. we have about 20 to 25 percent of all the cases um, in the world, and we only uh, make up about five to eight percent of the population of the world's population. So that's th those are some sobering numbers. Um, so it it is you know it, it's an emerging infectious disease. So. Um, the disease has recently emerged from the natural host animal in the wild. And I'm saying this for a specific reason because there are still, still are so, so many different theories. And um, coming from a medical perspective and having seen similar scenarios happen time and time again, um, you know, I have no doubt in my mind, and you know, there's there there were there were those papers that were published in Lancet, which demonstrated that you know the lab, the Wuhan lab theory, it's 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 too outlandish. I mean, it's a theory, and it's there, and everything is a theory. But what as scientists, it's our job to evaluate the evidence. What evidence do we have, and and go with what makes most sense given the evidence that is there. And so while that is a possibility, you know, um, I guess that's a theory, but the most, most sensible theory is the fact that it transferred over from the wild. And, and there, the, the reasons um, with, with um, deforestation, and if you follow a lot of environmental health, and uh, I'm, uh, I do that a lot more now due to the fact of global warming, things like that. If you see a lot of that, you see that more and more diseases are coming out of the wild because we are encroaching um, on, on wildlife territory, on animal territory. So this is the tragic consequence of development and you know um, all of the different components overpopulation and, and so we have to be more gentle with our environment you know and of course depending on uh, political stance and beliefs you might have a different opinion and I, I respect that as well um because most people you know uh, don't have the immunity uh, it takes time 
um, allowing the virus to replicate and potentially spread. Um, right, uh, new places also exposed to new bugs, Burke says, right. Um, and, and the other part of that is, you know, we have such, um, we have rapid expansion of globalization um, that allows for travel to um, spread the disease from one continent to another uh, instantly almost. Um, and that was the fear. I, I worked with Ebola, um, not directly, but um, indirectly through research. Um, and when you study the phenomena there, um, a lot of the things that was feared with Ebola would take place. Um, once there was the first individual that brought the, the Ebola virus to the United States, there was a fear that this was gonna turn into uh, a huge outbreak and, and, and might be difficult in the United States, but that fortunately didn't take place with that virus. Um, okay, so let, let me go through this and um, a lot of this is, you know, um, information that you've already seen um, of course, just going back uh, backwards a little bit, uh, you know, it was first identified in Wuhan, China, um, but the technical name is not China virus. Um, it's caused by novel coronavirus um, named SARS-CoV-2. Um, and, you know, there's different strains of coronaviruses that we have seen previously. So you would think that, oh, okay, you know, everything is a coronavirus. So we, if we defended uh, coronavirus before and, and we have immunity from that, then of course we have immunity from, uh, f from this one too, but it's a novel type. So that's why it doesn't work. But um, yeah, uh, Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, MERS, you might've heard of that. Um, of course, SARS, I think all, uh, you know, all of you probably heard, heard that one. Um, but a, a, pand a, a virus that reached pandemic proportions, you know, this is something that we really have not seen in recent history. Of course, um, in 2010, there was one, um, but right, H1N1, um, right. Um, so H1N1, I believe, is not a, a type of coronavirus per se. Um, and so, but we had seen, you know, uh, coronaviruses in the past. Um, and, and so, and, and we had seen pandemics, you know, um, and, and H1N1 was a pandemic um, about 10 years ago, but it did not reach the proportions that this has reached even now. Um, the one that people are starting to com compare this to and have been is the pandemic of 1918. And if you go back, um, you know, the same types of mistakes that were made in terms of people not wanting to wear masks, movements, whole movements created to try to prevent people from, you know, um, wearing masks, turning it into a uh, debate between individual liberties versus what should be done um, for the greater good. All these types of things um, took place in 1918 as well. So a approximately a hundred years ago, a little bit more. Um, 
So we saw, we, we, if, if you look at what took place there and um, political officials trying to brush this under the rug, when you saw this in, you saw this with HIV too, um, uh, political officials, you know, not wanting this to be at the forefront of, of what people pay attention to. I mean, after all, it is, of course, you know, human nature to try to think of um, the positive things and not to pay attention to things that are potentially bringing harm to people, you know? And if, if, if you ignore it, it goes away. If you, stick your, if you stick your head under the sand, then the problem disappears. You know, th this, is, this is what we would like to think, but unfortunately it doesn't go away. So, you know, even um, North Korea has, you know, initially they had not um, acknowledged COVID-19, but there's more and more acknowledgement, even, even countries that were initially resistant to that. Okay, so I, I think somebody raised their hand. Um, did you want to speak into the mic or? or no, sorry, that was an accident. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. Okay, great. Um, at least it was good to hear somebody else's voice than mine. So, so that's great. Um, right. So, uh, yeah. So just um, so H one N one was the influ. It was a type of influenza. So that that was the difference. But anyway, okay. So let's go into some. Um, we we have about. 15 minutes left. So let's go into some of these numbers. Um, and, you know, as, as individuals that are getting trained for contact tracing, it's, it's good to translate these concepts and numbers into what does it really mean. So at the end of the day, I mean, a, a majority of infections, you can, you can say, are mild. Um, the problem is we really don't know what, um, which individuals will go the mild direction versus the severe 5% um, in the ICU direction. And, um, you know, death rates have, um, for, in, at least in the present moment, you know, even, the, even though the case rates are going up, um, especially in Florida, Texas, California, you know, all, all of those, a lot of the southern states um, Georgia, um, where, where I spent a lot of time, and it's tragic to see what's going on uh, there as well. Um, but but yeah, I, with my years in the CDC and um, all of that, I spent a lot of time there, and it's tragic to see not only um, the what is going on in terms of the disease rate, but also kind of the um, pushback that is that is going on in between you know, mayors versus governors versus um, the director of, of the CDC and all of these things, all, all of those kind of um, relationships that need to be there in order to effectively combat COVID-19 is, is kind of falling apart and it's tragic. Um, I, I personally knew um, one of the, not the current CDC director, but uh, one of the previous ones. And, um, it's usually their job to, you know, be, have the interest of the public at the forefront. And, but that, that's a discussion for, you know, some, some other day. Um, so transmissibility, R-naught, you might have seen this number before. 
you might have wondered, you probably already looked it up, but R0 is the number of people that one person transmits the disease to a person who is positive for COVID-19. So, you know, you might think, okay, well, how can you have 2.4 people? Uh, you know, what does that even mean? Well, these are, you got to remember, these are calculations. Um, th these are numbers that have been, you know, um, kind of um, average numbers, things like that. So when you, when you take numbers and put them together and actually average them, they, come, they don't come in neat, discrete numbers. There's decimals left over. So anywhere between two to three, that's, that's the best way to put that, what that means. So case fatality rate. That's something that I want you to be able to, you know, kind of practice on. Um, so, you know, out of the number of cases, how many people are actually dying from the disease is the case fatality rate. It's different from mortality rate. Mortality rate and case fatality rate are not. Now, I've seen, I've seen reporters make this mistake. Um, I, I believe there was an interview. Um, I, I don't know if any of you see, uh, uh, saw this interview between Chris Wallace um, and the president, but um, I, I, I believe uh, Chris Wallace was, you know, in, asking about mortality rate and, and, um, and confusing those facts. Anyway, it's easy to confuse. Um, so I'll, I'll go over an example of that and, and show you how to do that. Okay, so highest risk again in 60 plus individuals. Um, people with comorbid conditions like heart, lung conditions. If you have, um, you know, diabetes, diabetes is one of those things where it um, affects uh, multiple systems simultaneously. And so that can be uh, difficult to, um, you know, that, that can lead to complications. Okay, so these definitions, you have a list of definitions, and I went over antibodies um, a little bit, but antibodies are what are created in order to um, protect against foreign, foreign, foreign attack, um, for, so foreign substances um, that may be invading. So these antibodies are actually particles, and there's five antibodies, major antibodies in our, in our, um, in, in our body. Um, IgG, IgM, IgA, IgD, IgE. Um, those are the five, but it doesn't, I, I don't expect you to know it. I don't expect you to remember that. I just said it because for the sake of completion. Okay, so um, antibody blood test, that is where you are um, maybe not symptomatic. You might, you might be one of those individuals that is thinking or hoping that you got it early sometime in, February, there's there's this whole group of people that that hope that they you know that they had already been exposed, and so if if you think you're one of those people, you you can you know uh, potentially get this test. Now this test is not very accurate. It, there's there's so uh, you know you might you might want to get it, but um, again, it it's it hasn't been developed that well yet. Um, so asymptomatic, of course, I'm going to go over this so much that you'll get sick of hear, hearing this from me. Um, of course, there's case investigators and case coordinators. So introducing a little bit, uh, a little concept of, you know, contact tracing. Um, there might be, and it, it depends on the setup um, of where you work. 
as, as a contact tracer. Um, but this is not something that we're focusing on right now. So, okay. So this is all the things that I have already gone over. How, how, I mean, when it's on a surface, of course, you know, a lot of times if you touch the surface and then touch your uh, mouth or your nose or eyes, or that's a, an, a, another way to get it, which is indirect. Um, so that's there. I wanted to leave you also with, um, this was the original article. It's no longer new. There's a lot of cases, but in New York City, there was this, um, at that time, a pediatric multisystem um, inflammatory syndrome. Um, it's, it's actually called MISC. Um, I, I, so the acronym is a little different than what I told you, but um, this is the main thing from this is that children, you know, people that say that children cannot be affected, not only are there situations where children have passed away, but secondarily, they might, you know, initially they might have gotten the infection, they really didn't show much symptom, but secondarily, two, three, four months down the line, they're getting this mysterious, you know, sort of inflammation um, that's taking place. And the symptoms that you get from this, this is on, on the CDC website, but I wanted to highlight this is the fact that it affects your heart, um, your eyes, your blood vessels, your skin. Um, so we we have seen this uh, traditionally, and when they were actually characterizing this, they were calling this Kawasaki syndrome. This is something similar, but um, it, it's it's concerning. So school age children um, can get something like this. Not only that, and this is new information, people that are um, over, children that are over the age of 10 can actually transmit um, the virus ju just as much as adults. So maybe they won't get it, but they can bring the virus back to their multi-generational home and then, um, and, and then make adults sick. So um, all of these things to keep in mind as, as the country is bracing itself um, to opening up schools. Okay, and then of course, you know, the lives of teachers are also something we have to be concerned about. Okay. So these are, you know, safety measures, social distancing, you know, washing hands, 20 seconds. Um, the time is important too, to keep in, keep in mind. Um, and you'll have to excuse me, that's my, uh, my granddaughter in the background. Um, Okay, so, you know, a, a lot of this is important. Social distancing, six feet, you know. Um, it, it's not three feet, it's not two feet. Um, uh, and and when, you're, when you're using, you know, um, some sort of cleaner, um, make sure it is over 60% in, in alcohol uh, content. Okay, so the, these are, of course, very important. Um, this is the original White House model, um, which was used. Um, of course, it, it was a group that was out of the University of Washington, very good group. I, I uh, have worked with them um, in different projects and actually um, you know, published uh, peer-reviewed journals. So it's a very uh, reputable group. Um, initially, when the numbers were low, um, political leaders were adopting this model. But as soon as this model 
started to show deaths that were higher than what were um, desirable, uh, you know, the other models were starting to be used. So this was the initial model. Um, and I, if, you, if you haven't gotten a chance to look at that, you know, um, you can take a look at uh, this, this model. I, I think it's, it's important to look at these curves. Um, and, and with social distancing, without social distancing measures, they actually you know, change the curves around to show you exactly how many lives are being saved um, by following these measures. Um, so Chester asks with, or makes a statement with asymptomatic persons, it, um, they don't show the symptoms at all, or the symptoms take a long time to show. Correct, yes, yes, and that is a concerning segment, which I will be going over in detail on Thursday. So, so yeah, good point. Okay, so this is, I was just trying to show off an article that I had about uh, social distancing and social isolation. Uh, if you wanna see some of the works that I have out there. <laughs> okay, so case fatality rate. I want to spend the last five minutes talking about this. Um, or last two or three minutes. Um, so again, like I said, number of deaths over the number of cases, that's how, and, and then because it's a percentage, not a decimal, you have to multiply by 100 um, in order to get the right percentage. So here, this is um, New York um, as of May 14th. So this is when New York was kind of coming down from that peak that we all saw and were uh, just, tragically seeing, you know. So what is the case fatality rate for Queens, New York? Um, if you don't have to necessarily calculate this number, can you, if you can just tell me what number over what number? So on the right, just to give you a little bit more, uh, Queens is the second one down, the, the number is down there, so that's the deaths on the right. And on the left of your screen, the top number is the number of cases. Great, and so people are already calculating. And um, as you're calculating this and going over this one, another one, uh, another important uh, metric is the positivity rate. So, the, um, that is proof that is used to refute, and positivity rates usually need to be less than 5%. Uh, percent. And um, that is something that can be used to prove the fact that cases are actually going up and not going up because of the fact that there is more testing. Very important concept to understand. And it, you know, if there are people that have this myth, th th that myth, then you can dispel that easily by saying, that the positivity rate is increasing as well, so that you, then you know that there is a real increase in in cases. So and uh, great, great, okay, okay. So I, th I think for those of you that may be having uh, you know difficulties, you can kind of um, you know ask me about that maybe first day in class on Thursday. But um, let me wrap up by saying you know uh, I'm, I'm I'm really excited 
for you know each and every one of you to be a part of this. You, you've been attentive listeners. I, I, I see that there's a lot of interest. Um, thank you for participating and uh, you know giving me all of those facts about COVID. Um, it's it's a really great experience to be able to you know bring a whole group together and and really um, discuss about this very important topic. Um, as as you go, you know, into Thursday, kind of, you can look over some of the materials. There's a discussion post that uh, you want to do. Um, do those, and then uh, as you interact, interact with others. There's also a place where you have for news, uh, you know, pieces that you find interesting. If you find something interesting, share with the class. Um, everybody's interested in learning and finding out new information, um, and I think this will be a very productive class. Thanks for uh, th th thanks for your attention and, 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 and your time um, to, this morning. Um, and I look forward to seeing you again on Thursday. Thank you. Good day. Thank you, Jack. Yeah. Back to Jack. Back to me. Yeah.